Hello everyone and I hope you've had a wonderful week. Thank you so much for tuning in again to, well, whether you're watching us on RTL Play or listening to us through Apple or Spotify or indeed Today Radio. It's great to have you with us. It's great to have your feedback on what we're doing here, what you want to hear more of, what you didn't like so much. All comments are valued. Now with me today, I'm very honoured to have the ambassador representing Ireland here in Luxembourg. It is Ambassador Elizabeth Jean MacDonald. Lovely to have you with us, Ambassador. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's an absolute thrill and delight to be here. I'm, I'm delighted you invited me here today. Well, wonderful to have you. And I know you haven't been in Luxembourg that long. When did you arrive? So um, I think we're here about 10 weeks. I arrived with my husband um, on the last day of August, the 31st of August. So um, it's been a really busy, um, hectic kind of 10 weeks since since I arrived, uh, but in the best possible sense. We've just been um, reviewing really overwhelmed by um, the welcome we've received and um, all of the really interesting and fascinating things we've been able to get up to since we've arrived in the Grand Duchy. Well, 10 weeks, it's one of those ambassadorial things one has to do, which is you come, you have to integrate rapidly. How do you do that? Well, <clears throat> I suppose, I mean, you're quite right. It's it's uh, it's it's a, a little bit of a whirlwind uh, on arrival, but I've been so fortunate in a number of ways, Lisa, because first of all, I work with a great team in the embassy. So even before my arrival, they've been, you know, reaching out to me and supporting um, my kind of transition from my job in Dublin to, to the new role here. Um, on arrival then, I mean, the Luxembourg authorities are, are wonderful to deal with and the support, both professional and personal, that we've received from, from them has, has been wonderful. And then, I mean, I've had the, the great fortune of being uh, welcomed so incredibly warmly into a really active and vibrant Irish community here. So we've had uh, lots of lots to keep us busy in the first few weeks in terms of beginning to get to know what life is like here in, in Luxembourg. Well, I can tell you that two of my colleagues here are Irish, Sam Steen, of course. Of course. And uh, Melissa Dalton as well. So so we have a very strong Irish force here. And in fact, Vanessa's lived in Ireland as well. So plenty of Irish here on the station. Um, your husband has come with you and... Well, it's wonderful to have you as a female role model, as ambassador. He is the trailing spouse. And it's not the first time because you also lived in Geneva. How does he manage that? Yeah, that's right. So um, Greg and I actually met on my first posting when I was in Paris. So um, we we met while we were in in France and um, then we travelled to Geneva together on on posting. And then obviously we've come together here. So, you know, it's um, it's I, I certainly feel... Uh, incredibly lucky to have him with me because the support that he provides is just fantastic, both both practical and and, and emotional. You know, it's a big change moving to a new country um, and ch- taking up a new job and 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 all of that. Um, and for Greg, I mean, it's a it's a, an opportunity for him to um, to to get to know a new country in Europe. I mean, he's lived um, uh, around the world as well with me, but also independently. So we both love to travel and and to get to know new places. So. For him, it's uh, he's been um, accompanying me to lots of, of the events that I've been going to and also making his own inroads in, into to kind of life in Luxembourg, both professionally and personally. And and so far, things are, are going really well. Well, we welcome him to, of Thank course, you. to Luxembourg. Thank you. Now, you mentioned you love to travel. But it turns out that where you're from in Ireland <laughs> seems a place nobody would want to leave because recently it was in an article over the weekend, which you shared with me kindly, uh, an English anthropologist, Daniel Miller. He spent 16 months in this place studying daily life and 
came to the conclusion, and I quote, it's hard to find another currently existing society that is demonstrably better. Now, he also said, because he didn't want to name the place, that it rhymes with fairies. <laughs> Where are you from in Ireland? So I'm from North County Dublin, a town called Scarries, which is about 20 kilometres north of the city centre. Um, you know, it was a, a seaside village and then developed into a suburban commuter town, as, as much of the North and South County Dublin did o- over the last kind of 50 years or so. But look, I mean, I, I have to say I, I fully subscribe to, to Mr. Miller's, Dr. Miller's findings. Um, I had a fantastic childhood growing up in Scaries. Um, you know, it's a wonderful community to be in. Lots of activities of cultural, sports, um, environmental, you know, great. I had a great group of friends that are still probably my closest friends uh, that, that I have. And, uh, you know, great um, opportunities in terms of education. And I, I was at primary school in Scaries and then um, had five fantastic fantastic years in Loretto Secondary School in Balbriggan, just down the road. So, you know, I, I do recognise so much of what uh, has been covered quite extensively in the media about, about Scaries. I mean, not unique, I would say as well. I think this is the kind of community spirit that you see in, in lots and lots of places around Ireland. It's one of the many reasons I'm so proud to be Irish and proud to represent Ireland abroad. And I would say, you know, in the short time that I've been in Luxembourg, there are also common threads that I recognise here. You know, that sense of people being really proud of where they're from and where they live um, and giving back. You know, I mean, a huge part of the activities that members of the Irish community are involved in here in Luxembourg are on that kind of volunteering and, and community spectrum. You know, I'm thinking most recently of, of the fantastic Irish stand at the Bazaar, um, you know, the wonderful run in the dark, uh, which took place about two weeks ago. Um, I know there's plans to um, to run another um, Darkness into Light walk in May, which is so important in terms of raising awareness around mental health um, issues. So, you know, everything I'm seeing from the GAA to Kjoltas to the wonderful uh, British Irish Film Festival, these activities don't happen out of nowhere. They happen because people give time and energy and want to give back to the community that they live in. And it's it's really wonderful to see those those parallels between my hometown and, and what I'm learning about my new hometown. That's absolutely right. I think a central theme for Dr. Miller's work is that community and the egalitarian society that it is. I loved, there was a couple of quotes I really, really loved. Um, one of them uh, was, uh, people joke that if you leave the tunnel, this is the tunnel from Dublin towards Scaries, you get a nosebleed because the air is so rarefied. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> there was another one. Some days it feels like the Truman Show with blue skies overhead whilst it's raining in the rest of Dublin. And then the last one I'll say was, um, you know, about the clothing. Uh, Maeve McGann, who's 68, said, you can't get dressed up in Scaries. The wind will get you. <laughs> so they were my favourite three quotes from the article. But coming back to the volunteering, yes, it seems to be very, very integral to the Irish sense of self and giving beyond oneself uh, and then integrating into the world more widely. It's always been there since my own childhood. And of course, you've lived it and your most recent work was in human rights. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's another extension of it in a way. When it comes to the work that you did at the UN, um, people who don't work in human rights, they might think, how do you get things done? How does the UN get things done? Well, I mean, I, I suppose in the, the very complicated world that w- we live in, it, it can seem a little dispiriting sometimes when we talk about issues like human rights, because progress can sometimes seem to be very slow. And in the four years that I was in Geneva and had, you know, again, an, an immense privilege leading Ireland's work at the, the Human Rights Council there at that time, 
um, we did manage to make, you know, significant gains around big issues that resonate, I think, with Irish people and with, you know, indeed with Luxembourgers and with, with Euro- the European Union member states more generally. And that a lot of that work evolved, evolved around, you know, protecting the space in which civic groups, volunteer groups can act, can be active in their home countries, because that voice of pe- of the people is so important in terms of informing political debates. So our, one of Ireland's signature foreign policies um, at the Human Rights Council is that protection of the environment in which NGOs and other civic groups operate in and protecting, you know, human rights defenders who speak out often in a context that is is quite difficult. So, you know, look, I, I you know, it's, it's no secret that progress is slow um, in terms of getting work done. I think as a diplomat, Everybody thinks we like to talk, and of course we do, but so much of it is about listening also and trying to find a way forward that's going to bring pragmatic and practical benefits to the people that you're trying to to affect change on behalf of. And, you know, much of that uh, takes place in the big formal set pieces, of course, uh, in the UN, but also hugely, and particularly, I think, for a country like Ireland, it takes place in those sidebar conversations that we have um, with, with representatives from other countries, you know, often it can be as simple as standing in a coffee queue with somebody and, and talking directly to them, trying to understand a little bit better where they're coming from, seeing where the common ground can be reached and, and always having that optimistic approach to, 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 to that, that progress is possible and that, you know, a, a, an achievement of a betterment of the state of, of affairs is, is something we, we can work towards. Some days are better than others. Um, but it's an incredibly rewarding uh, work to, to piece of work to, to be involved in, and you know, f- hearing back from people who work in, in in difficult environments who say to you or to your delegation or to to other European Union delegations, and of course, Luxembourg has an incredibly strong re- track record in in the protection and promotion of human rights internationally. That what what w- even those small pieces of, of inching forward mean an improvement in in what in their their quality of life and they're they they feel that they are being heard on an international stage which is very important so the voice and being heard it's very important to one sense of identity um i mean i know that the irish voice it's a vocal it's a strong voice often and in fact it was my daughter i i mentioned to you in a, in a chat that um she'd been watching I, I don't know whether which social media site it was it must have been one of them but she was watching some irish meps and she was impressed by the fact that they stood out and it was to do with what's happening in the middle east but they stood out to say that Actually, they stand up for, you know, the voices of those who might not be heard so much, etc. Uh, we won't go into the discussion of what's going on in the Middle East, but it's just to say that even, you know, at EU level, we can definitely see the Irish voice is not afraid to stand alone. For sure. And, you know, I think <clears throat> that there's there's a lot in, in, in where we come from as, a, as as citizens in terms of our historical background. And, you know, we're very proud of the fact that our external engagement has been anchored in, in our UN membership. And that really is the cornerstone of how we see ourselves um, on, on the world stage in terms of being active. You know, Ireland is the only country, for example, that has an unbroken record of peacekeeping in terms of our troops and the, the incredible work that they do for UN mandates abroad. And that's since 1958. And, and Irish people are very very proud of that and, and we'll speak to you about that. I think we've a very mobilised and, and healthy disc, political discourse in Ireland. 
Um, a lot of that, I think, is 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 helped by the fact that we've had referendums on big issues in Ireland, where you know people uh, want to get engaged, they they want to have their voices heard, that and and you know the the progress that we have made and the the journey that we've travelled as a as a country over the last seventy to fifty to twenty five years has been hugely influenced by the the voices of people on the ground, and you know when it comes to the the, the politics of the Middle East, I mean Ireland has always been uh, very engaged on the this particular issue and um we we have had um i think you know the tonish the travel there for example towards the end of, of august the beginning of september in an effort to to renew engagement in terms of a of, of a of an outcome to to what is a, a incredibly tragic situation so i i don't think that it's any surprise to anyone that irish politicians are as engaged as they are because it reflects the level of interest and engagement at, at local level and, and at the individual level with by, by citizens of Ireland in these big issues. You know, we're a small a small island economy uh, with a very much an international outlook. So we've traditionally always looked um, as uh, at our external engagement as being hugely re- important. That also has been a, a huge part of our our fifty year membership of the European Union. And you know, just before I came in today here, Lisa, I was looking at some Eurobarometer studies, and it's really interesting. I mean, traditionally, everybody knows this Ireland huge supporters of EU membership, but one statistic that really caught my eye was that we're the highest. We have the highest level of optimism about the EU and what it can achieve. And that's at about 82-83%. EU average is somewhere around 60. And this was a poll um, taken towards the end of last year, beginning of this year. So, you know, relatively recent. And I think that speaks to the level of engagement of Irish people, that they, you know, they, they are they are engaged in, in issues, they they feel um, engaged with the systems around them and, and want to see and, and affect change through the, through the, the membership of these big organisations, whether it's UN or EU, Council of Europe. There, there are many other multilateral fora, of course, where Ireland is is very active. But it, yes, I, I think anybody who knows Ireland and knows the the, the spectrum of, of views on on big issues uh, there will will feel, feel it's no surprise that Irish politicians are as engaged as they are on these big issues. Yeah, I, you, you said a lot there actually, but I, that uh, optimism is it's. Um, I was going to say it's surprising, but maybe it's not surprising because. Ireland has really benefited, massively benefited from being a member of the EU. And just going back to the very strong voice that the Irish have in a global conversation about various issues, very difficult issues sometimes. What's an interesting question in my own mind is why is that? Because for so long, Ireland was under the shackles of religion or other things, oppression one way or another. But it seems to be just forcing through all of this, maybe in our history and our more recent history, a lot of change has happened in our generation. Absolutely, Lisa. And, you know, I really um, see myself as somebody who has benefited hugely personally from from the advantages of EU membership. So, as I said, Ireland is celebrating 50 years of membership uh, of the European Union this year. And if I look back on my my own, you know, kind of childhood and early adulthood, as I was coming out of, of university in, in the late 90s, you know, that was a moment where the, the real economic and social benefits of EU membership had had really bedded down in the economy and were largely uh, and, and society and were huge drivers for the economic boom that was taking place at that time. And then, of course, you had the other pivotal moment in, in Irish history at that time, so 25 years ago, where we had the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, which was, you know, such a significant moment in terms of a work towards resolution of a, of a terrible conflict that had devastated so many lives on the island of Ireland. So when I look at my 
my myself. I really feel that I'm a product of the benefits of European Union membership, but also the peace and stability that the Good Friday Agreement has brought on on the island of Ireland. And it's it's in it's incredible to reflect back on on how difficult things were, um, you know, decades ago, and how how far we have have come. Oh, I know. My dad was a bagpipe player and I was never allowed to visit the competitions in Northern Ireland because of the troubles at the time. So I could go to all the other competitions. My favourite was Kilkenny because of the burgers and the relish. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I do remember that. Um, yeah, but also I'm thinking that when you were at university, you were sensible enough to add French to, to English, I believe it was. Um, did you add French because you loved French or did you already have a view on uh using that in your career? Well, I, actually, I, it's it's funny you should ask me that because I, as I was going through school, as ma- as many people are, it's it's quite difficult at the age of 16 or 17 to decide, you know, what, what your career path is going to be. I always loved English at school. That was probably my, my, my one true love when I when I was in school. And again, you know, benefited from great teachers in, in Loretto and Balbriggan. But um, French, I, I always really enjoyed. We, we went on family holidays to France. So I had a, a really nice kind of association with France. And it was a kind of a, a little bit of an afterthought, I have to say, in terms of my, my studies. But um, it has been hugely influential in the, in the career path that I've taken, both before joining um, the Department of Foreign Affairs and obviously consistent through my career with the department now. Um, I, I seem to use French at, at every turn and have done for the last 20 odd years. And it's, um, it's something I really enjoy, that, that um, getting to grips with a, a second language. I'm, I'm hoping uh, in my four years to, to, to work on my Luxembourgish. Uh, it will be a bigger, a bigger lift, I know, because I, I don't have those, uh, that grounding in, in German, which might perhaps be so helpful. But I think that those, the skill set that comes with, um, the, the pleasure that comes in learning a second language is, 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 is surely there. But, you know, the, 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 the added um, nuance it gives in terms of understanding a culture is really invaluable. And it's something that I've always really enjoyed in terms of the time I spent in France, but also Geneva and now here in Luxembourg, too. Well, you're very lucky to have that one under the belt, another one or two to come, I'm sure. High ambitions. Yeah, well, you you will do it, I'm sure. Um, actually, after university, you started in a bank. Yes, I did. And then you switched. Yes. So talk to us, you're right, at those young, tender ages in the past. <laughs> it's hard to know what to do. It is, yeah. So tell yeah. us about that that journey, because I'm sure a lot of people looking at you now as ambassador here, they wonder how do you... How, what's the route to this? Yes, indeed. And and to be honest, I, until I took it myself, I really didn't have much of an idea. So again, this is really where the, the, the French language skills come in. I, I finished my degree, which was four years um, in Trinity and very happy time there. Um, I didn't do Erasmus, which can be, which is quite unusual when you do a, a, a foreign language. Um, so I, I did. I did Erasmus okay, in Strasbourg. Very good. But not for language, for chemistry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, people find it unusual that I I did a language as my as my primary focus in my degree and didn't do Erasmus. So I decided then uh, my year after university that I would go to France for a year and I worked as a language assistant in the Auvergne um, and had just kind of was was tinkering with uh, 
with a career in the in law, actually. Um, so was thinking of maybe doing some sort of conversion course and maybe eventually doing the bar exams. And I came home to do some some kind of temporary work. Um, I'd done some student work in a in a local bank, so I got got a job there again and when I was there I actually they they had um, would you believe they had a French bank in to visit and they asked me would they would I sit in and and kind of just help a little with the translation and for me it was a really kind of light bulb moment that you know if I I, I enjoyed using my French so much could see what how, how useful it was and so that really may be a career in the legal path wasn't for me because I was going to have to step away from that a little bit. And I was fortunate enough to benefit from a time in Ireland where there was huge investment in um, by big multinationals who were moving a lot of their European businesses to, uh, to Dublin. And so I got a job with the Francophone market of uh, Diners Club, which was being run by, by Citibank at that time. They'd taken back control of their franchise for, for France, Belgium and Luxembourg. So that was my, uh, that was my route into did banking. You, did you know? Indeed, indeed. So, uh, you know, I mean, I had a great time there. And, you know, I think with any job, particularly when it's early in your career, you just learn so much because it's a new environment and, 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 uh, and you know, you're, you're, you're getting to grips with all that, that office life uh, throws at you. Um, but I, I really, it wasn't maybe something I wanted to pursue long term. And my dad, in fact, saw an ad in the Irish Times for recruitment for the Department of Foreign Affairs and uh, kind of cut out the, the ad from the paper and gave it to me and said, would you not kind of think of this? I mean, I'd always been very interested in international affairs and obviously having a language. Um, so, yes, then, then began my journey uh, into the civil service. Is your dad still with us? He passed away in February, actually, Lisa. Yes. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Well, Thank he you. would be so proud. Yes, we had, um, he, he, he got, um, and indeed my mum and dad have been hugely supportive in, in my, um, all, th- all through my, my childhood and, and in, in my career as well. I, I'm delighted to say they, uh, they, they visited us many times when we were in Paris and came to Geneva also, even pre-pandemic, which was great. So um, yeah, he was always hugely interested and, uh, uh, in, in what I was doing and the same for all of us, for my, my brother and two sisters as well. So he was the catalyst. Yes, he and was indeed. Although a banker himself, so <laughs> that's so funny. The irony there is huge. Um, did he know that you were to become ambassador to Luxembourg? Um, he he um, he did, uh, but he was very unwell before he passed away um, for quite an extended period of time. So um, I like to think maybe on some level it had registered with him, but nonetheless, um, you know, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very grateful for all the love and support he he gave me. Through, throughout his life and, 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 and my mum too. They, they've been hugely supportive. Well, it's making me realise, which of course I think any listener or viewer knows, the, the value of having supportive family, but not just a lot of people don't have that. And so one reason for putting out interviews like this is that people can hear your story and you are an example to them so that if they don't have that supportive father who takes the cutting out of the the Irish Times and gives it to them, you can be that mentor for another person, even if it's just through this voice. So for anybody who doesn't have that father figure that you had, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, I'm... I suppose I, in the professional space, I've been hugely benef- I've hugely benefited from fantastic role models, and you know one of the things that I'm particularly 
proud of is um, the commitment that our, our foreign ministry has to the promotion and advancement of women and into senior positions. Um, you know, I one of my first ambassadors that I worked for in Paris was a fantastic um, colleague and uh, mentor, Anne Anderson, who was not only the first Irish ambassador to the European Union, but the first woman ambassador of any country to the European Union. So she was blazing a trail for, for Irish women, you know, 20 years ago. And now we're at a stage where through successive strong support at political and, and senior official levels in in the foreign ministry, we've really broken a lot of barriers in terms of of female representation. We're now at about fifty two percent of our our heads of mission who run offices abroad are, are led by women, and that's uh, will increase next year with the the next rotation of new ambassadors and consuls general. Um, and I think it is just that piece. I would say to to anybody, you know, you, looking around to, to you, who are the people you admire in the work that you do. And And I've always found that people are um, hugely supportive when you when you ask them for help and really like to be asked for help. You know, I've, I, again, you know, I've had many occasions in my career um, where I've had to reach out to people and ask to, you know, for their guidance, for their support uh, on, on particular issues. And, you know, without fail, um, colleagues and friends will come through for you, you know, I, I think really in the main. So I think if you're if you're a younger person and you're starting out in your career, think about those people around you that you'd really like to emulate and work out what it is about how they do what they do that you like and talk to them about how they how they manage to do that. Sometimes what seems the most effortless is is that's the person who's the most prepared and who has really done all the homework. Um, I think um, always. Yeah, I think that the, the sense that some people are just naturally good at things. Um, I, I don't hold to that too much. I think the people I've worked with and, you know, again, I think of my last ambassador in Geneva, Michael Gaffey, fantastic, uh, fantastic support to me. And in terms of professional development, you know, one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever I've ever worked with. And, you know, the, these people don't end up in those roles by accident. It's because they they have put the time in, they've put the effort in, they're curious, they're knowledgeable and um, they, they really want to, to, to do their, their job as best as they can. Yeah, and actually, you're absolutely right. I've had the same experience. Whenever you ask somebody for help, they're very likely to give it. And it comes back to the conversation we've had about volunteering and the fact that all of this makes the person who is giving the help happier. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I... I um Uh, as I as I kind of reach the midpoint, I suppose in my own career, I do see it now where younger colleagues are asking me for for help and guidance. It's it's hugely flattering, and I'm I'm delighted to to be there to help anybody who 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 might need it. And I think, you know, for me here as ambassador in Luxembourg, ambassador of Ireland, I mean, such an incredible privilege to 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 do the job that I do. And it's been, you know. Um, One of the areas I, I really want to focus on as well as as we as I move through my tenure here is is looking more at the younger generation of Irish that are here. You know, we've got a huge cohort of students that come through Luxembourg every year, you know, engaging with I them. I have that on my list, in fact. Great, great. <laughs> I have that on my list because I know you also worked uh, Brexit. I don't want to talk about Brexit sure. too much, but... But one of the results of that is that a lot of students here in Luxembourg who would have looked, if they wanted to study in English, they would have looked to going to the UK, you know, Scotland as well, of course, sure. you know, any part of the UK, Northern Ireland, wherever. Um, but because of Brexit, this has become impossible for some financially and it changes things for those even who have a British uh, passport down the road in a couple of years. So therefore, a lot of students who want to study in in English will be looking to Ireland. So what do you want to say to these potential students? 
He'll well, be looking to do English and French in Trinity, for instance. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I think we're, we're hugely fortunate to benefit from an excellent uh, education system in Ireland. And, and the third level education system in Ireland has, has really undergone significant transformation over the last years, you, you know, in terms of the, the establishment of the regional regional colleges and and. Um, even the establishment of a dedicated ministry, which is now focusing on third level. So it has been stripped out from the central education ministry. I think that's a real statement of the government's commitment to the importance of investing in third level education. I mean, I I personally had a fantastic time during my four years in Trinity. I think that experience of of college uh, in Ireland is really excellent. Again, we have that huge piece around college life, which is about the clubs and societies. So whatever your interests are, you will find, you know, your tribe that will will want to you know play rugby with you or what play chess or I I um I was a member of the chess club which I know everybody I know will find that hilarious because I, I can't play chess uh, but it was a very social club um, and I wrote for a couple of the college newspapers so did you get better at chess <laughs> more socialising mar- mar- marginally marginally <laughs> shall we say but I think you know there's a huge opportunity for um for students here in Luxembourg who are looking at options abroad to to look look at Ireland and it's something I, I want to explore. I've been fortunate to visit the beautiful campus out in Belleville uh, since I arrived. Um, I went out there about three or four weeks ago because in fact for the first time there's an Irish studies programme being run out of the university. So um, I went out to meet um, members of the faculty um, and attend one of the lectures which was uh, a super lecture on, on WB Yeats. Again of course one of our, our cultural icons in Ireland and, and this year we're celebrating 100 years of his Nobel Prize win. So uh, that was a great experience and I think you know there's such a shared interest in that third level sector that I hope it's something that I can explore during my time here. I should say, Lisa, as well, that my my um, wonderful counterpart in Dublin, uh, Ambassador Ench, who's the fantastic Luxembourg ambassador um, to Ireland, also uh, attended university in Dublin. So the two of us, in fact, were in Trinity together, which I find really extraordinary. Time? Yes, at the same time. Did yeah. you know each other? We didn't. But since I have gotten to know Ambassador Ench, and again, she has been, you know, hugely helpful in, in preparing my, my arrival here. And since I've arrived, it was extraordinary to discover that our, our paths had overlapped to that extent. So in that very Irish uh, way, we had many friends in common, uh, but didn't actually know one another. No, That's fantastic. Well, if Trinity are listening, I <laughs> hope you are. Well, there we go. I think you have a you have a night on the cards to book with two ambassadors <laughs> that you've produced at the same time. No less. I mean, that's a phenomenal coincidence. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, you have a lot to do. What are you most looking forward to doing? Do you have, do you come with a plan? Do you have a vision of what you want to get done in the next four years? Well, I suppose for, for any diplomat that goes away to a, you know, a, an embassy, uh, the, the overarching aim is, you know, promote Ireland as best you can and deepen the, rela- the relations between Ireland and your host country. I mean, again, I'm hugely fortunate fortunate that Ireland and Luxembourg enjoy fantastic bilateral relations. You know, we're very close partners at the UN, within the EU. And now with the establishment and opening of a resident embassy in Dublin, there's a real opportunity, I think, to see where we might work even closer together on, on many great issues. So that's a big priority for me. And flowing from that then, it's about 
using these few months where where I'm still relatively new and I know there's a there's a time stamp on that there'll there'll be a moment will come where I will have to stop describing myself as newly arrived but for the time being it's about learning about the landscape here both in terms of you know the economic piece which is hugely important of course for both Ireland and Luxembourg and a huge number of the 2500 Irish citizens who are working here are involved in financial services and and that particular sector of the economy it feels like more than 2500 it I does I, I, I thought it was more. <laughs> Again, a very active, <laughs> vibrant community. Um, so that's an area of focus for sure. I'd like to, we've, we've just launched a, a LinkedIn page for the embassy. So kind of mapping out that that economic and professional presence is, is a real priority for, for us in the medium term. Um, I really wanted to, I, it was in the first few weeks, it was a priority to kind of reach out to those community groups that I mentioned at the outset and, and explore how we as an embassy can can support them in what they're doing. Um, I was delighted to find out that, you know, they're getting on quite fine without us. Um, so, you know, it speaks to the incredible level of organisation and commitment that, that the groups have, 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 have brought to, to, to bear over a number of years. But, you know, the embassy is really here to, to, to be their home from home and um, anything we can do to support them in their activities and then by extension also, you know, support the Irish community that's here when they might need help from us. I really want people to feel that the embassy is, is there as a, as a, as a service that, that they can use and feel that it's part of their home away from home. Well, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of a, um, a certain issue I've had recently. I've been trying to renew my girls' Irish passports and uh, whether I do it online, the photos didn't work. I got professional photos, they didn't work. So I will have to knock on the door of the embassy. Please help with this situation. Um, Happy to, Lisa. No, I'm only joking, of course. Of course not, not at all. But also, I think the uh, very valuable thing of, of coming here is those first impressions. They're so, so valuable. What did you pick up? So I I suppose that that piece about the community and and volunteerism really struck me in those first few weeks here. I mean, I had uh, to to use the International Bazaar as an example, you know, so many people had mentioned it to me when they heard I was coming. And I had in my head, a you know, a kind of a a modestly sized charity event. I didn't really appreciate the the size of it and the how how much is part of the fabric of the city of Luxembourg as an annual event. And then to eat often, indeed. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the the incredible Irish stand that's that's been a, a you know such a feature of of the the bazaar over you know almost almost fifty years now, which is an incredible ta- testament testament to to Annette Power and the team that run that. So so that was definitely. Um, um, hugely, hugely striking. Um, I've also really appreciated the that sense of history and culture that you find here and learning about that. Obviously, you know, we're very proud of the connection between County Carlo and Luxembourg in terms of St. Villebroad and uh, being the patron saint of Luxembourg. And I'm looking forward very much to a visit to Echternach in the near f- future to explore that a little more. I should say also, in spite of my North County Dublin um hometown. Uh, my, my grandfather actually came from County Carlo. So it was a really nice serendipitous um, discovery to make that we had that that connection. And that was my local town. I was in Collection then next to very well, good. Beach, so I know Carlo very well. It's such a lovely part of, of the country indeed. And um, it's it's been great to discover that, that learn more about that historic connection. 
And I think just I've really been struck by the the natural beauty of, of Luxembourg as well. So, you know, I mean, obviously the, the old town itself is beautiful with the historic buildings. But as you move out um, into the suburbs and into the into the, you know, the forested areas, um, I mean, it's it's we were here when when we arrived. We had such wonderful weather in September. So uh, Greg and I did get a chance to explore some of it Um in our first few weeks. But I think really just really struck by the natural beauty and, and very much looking forward to, to getting know, getting to know the Grand Duchy um, really well through those, I think it's, is it 201 guided walks that uh, that are in this famous book that has been mentioned to oh, me many times? I don't know. I just go around and follow the, the routes that I know. Well, I mean, I do, well, I have a dog, so I do quite a lot of different routes, but I don't know. I'll have to buy this book. There's plenty of beautiful walks. Yes. Absolutely wonderful yes. walks, for sure. And they're very well signposted and uh, I was going to say you can't you could get lost but but they're very well signposted okay that's good very, to know very reassuring well signposted this play well I think you're going to bring a little bit of scary's magic to Luxembourg with your community building ambassador thank you so much for being with us thank you so much Lisa The Lisa Burke Show.